Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. You are ready to get out and join the real world. And that means it's time to take some real responsibility. Even young adults should prepare some key estate planning documents, regardless of the assets you may or may not have. I'm Patrice Sakora, and Foster and Motley's Nick Roth is with me. Nick, why does estate planning matter for young people? Estate planning matters for young people, Patrice, because once you turn 18, you are legally recognized as an adult, and that comes with a lot more responsibilities and some limitations that people may may not realize. There are restrictions in place once you're an adult that say your parents can't do some things on your behalf anymore. And estate planning documents are, are one thing that can take care of some of that. With that in mind, that kind of suggests you should have these documents in place when you're in college. Absolutely. A lot of people don't realize that um, your parents can't act on your behalf in college, but once you turn 18 and you're a legal adult, there things change. And that despite being a dependent of your parents in most cases, with most parents supporting their children in some capacity in college, they do lose a lot of legal rights over you uh, now that you're an adult. So how should a young person approach this idea of estate planning, even if they don't really have much? Yeah, it doesn't really matter how much you have. There are a number of estate planning documents that don't involve financial matters. So it's really not about the number of financial assets a person has. Everybody who is an adult should have a basic set of estate planning documents that help facilitate a smoother transfer of the maybe limited assets that are available or facilitate a parent being able to act on your behalf should that situation arise. So, you know, we want to preface this conversation by saying that I am not a licensed attorney and no one here at Foster and Motley is a licensed attorney. So the suggestions and the advice that follows in this is not to be construed as legal advice, but it's just generic basic life advice that we provide all our clients who have children in a similar situation. Hmm. What is the difference between a young adult and a young professional? So, you know, we would consider the difference being the level of complexity in their financial situation, right? So once you turn 18, everyone is a young adult per se, but not everybody has a extremely complex financial life at that point. But then you graduate from college or you just go into the workforce, uh, into a trade, and you start earning money and accumulating assets. And eventually your financial situation becomes complex to the point that we would consider you a young professional. And that brings along some extra responsibilities and extra complications that need to be uh, accounted for in your documents. Well, let's start with the young adult then, not the professional yet. What are the basic documents that an 18-year-old and older should have? There's four main documents that everyone who's an adult should have, and we'll go through each of those here. The first is a will, and a will 
is a document that describes where your assets should go in the event that you would pass away, right? The will is a legal document and sends assets through the probate system, through the court system. So we actually work with our clients to try and make the will as um, unimportant as possible. We want assets to transfer in other ways mm -hmm. outside of the will so that the courts don't have to get involved at all. But everyone still needs a will because inevitably things will get missed uh, it, despite all of our hard work. And that backstop needs to be in place to transfer things that did not have an appropriate title. All right. How about a living will? Yeah, the living will has a very similar name, but is really a completely different document. We would consider this a, more of a healthcare document, but it really defines end of life decisions. And those decisions are written down and pre-made such that your loved ones don't have to make those decisions for you. In the event, let's assume someone was in a, a terrible car accident the likelihood that they are going to recover is negligible. You really don't want your loved one to need to make the decision to pull the plug for you. That decision should be written down. The doctor should have a clear guideline to follow in that situation so that nobody has to make that terrible decision to let you pass naturally uh, and not prolong anyone's suffering. Well, how is that different from a healthcare power of attorney? That's the other healthcare document that's extremely important. And the difference is that the healthcare power of attorney doesn't become involved just at the end of life. A healthcare power of attorney could be as simple as you going to the doctor, but not being able to answer the doctor's call. And that gives the doctor the ability to call your parents or whoever you name in that document as your attorney, in fact, or your de facto attorney, and provide them with your healthcare information, you know. Right, right, right. Got that. Then the last document would be that durable power of attorney. Yeah. So this also falls in the power of attorney realm. So it's giving somebody the ability to act on your behalf, but this document handles financial matters. So if you were to name your parent as a, a durable power of attorney, then they would be able to, for, uh, for example, go to the bank on your behalf and withdraw $100 from your account because you needed $100 in cash for some reason, but weren't able to go to the bank yourself. So it gives them the power to make financial decisions on your behalf. And the reason that it's called a durable power of attorney is because it survives your incapacity. Um, so if you were to become incapacitated and not able to make decisions on your own, so not just your parents going to the bank to execute a transaction for you, but you were in a state that you physically couldn't do it yourself, this document, as long as it's called a durable power of attorney, would survive your incapacity and your parents would still be able to act on your behalf. If it's not labeled as a durable power of attorney, then the document would not survive your incapacity. So that's an important distinction. Almost all financial powers of attorney are written as durable powers of attorney these days, but it's possible to not be written that way. 
Interesting. I did not know that. I didn't know that there was the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Now we're moving into the young professional stage. What's the difference here? Those documents all sound like they're they're pretty, as you say, basic. Maybe your parents aren't involved, but what's the difference? So the difference is that the complexity level has changed. And there's a few different life events that could happen that cause this change, right? It could be a marriage. You could get married and then you would likely want to name your spouse as your helper in all those documents instead of your parents. You could have children. You would then be changing the contingent beneficiary of all your assets from your parents, most likely, to your children. Um, You could receive a large inheritance, potentially from a parent or a grandparent or an aunt. Doesn't really matter. But that involves financial complexity, which likely means that you need to relook at these documents and make sure that things are laid out appropriately. And then the the fourth area that's most common is advancement in someone's career. So you could get a promotion and be in maybe a more litigious role where you could potentially get sued. You would want to make sure that your assets are protected and you would want to re- review your estate planning documents or maybe your earnings are just to a point where you're making a lot of money, which has meant that your net worth or your financial situation has grown such that these documents need to be reviewed. So um, there's really this kind of transition period that happens at some point uh, after everyone kind of starts their career where these documents really should be looked at uh, again. And it would seem to me if you have the documents already in place, if you've done them as a young adult, you're basically updating them. You're not really having to start from scratch. Right. And and that's the key with things in your whole financial life, right, Patrice? It's make good decisions early so that the next decision becomes easier. And if you do that in every area of your financial life, estate planning included, then these decisions become much easier as your life goes on. Let's then look at what if you didn't do anything? (laughs) Talk to me about the drawbacks of not having anything. Yeah, the drawbacks of not having any documents in place really isn't a good situation for anyone to be in because it leaves your, your loved ones in a state of not knowing what your wishes are. It leaves the courts potentially in a situation of not knowing what your wishes are. So then the courts are making a lot of decisions on your behalf. And that's never a situation that we would recommend a person to be in. So it's really important to have at least a basic set of estate planning documents. And we would always recommend employing a qualified estate planning attorney to draft those documents. However, even a a simple set of documents from an online provider, there are several of those out there, is better than nothing. Especially once you kind of progress in your life into the young professional category where there's some complexity. An estate planning attorney can certainly provide a lot of context or additional benefit to you as far as crafting a set of documents that meet your specific needs. So that's something that we would certainly recommend to people. But, you know, 
we just don't want to put our loved ones in a situation where they don't have the ability to do the things that we would want them to do. And, and that's really the crux of the issue. If we don't have a set of documents in place, then our loved ones can't take care of us in the manner that they would like to. That's a great way to wrap it up. Nick, is there any way people can get to you if they've got questions? Yeah, people can reach us on our website, fosterandmotley.com, or give us a call, 513-561-6640. And we're happy to talk about this or any other thing financial. And this would be a wonderful episode to share with the young adults and professionals in your life. You could also suggest they follow this podcast to gain insights into the wide variety of topics discussed by the folks from Foster and Motley. We hope you do. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.